Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, I'm so happy and excited that we are speaking with Christine Robinson from Deloitte. Hi, Christine. Hey, Aaron. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. So Christine is uh, with a, she is the senior manager in the sustainability services practice group at Deloitte. And she helps companies with their sustainability reporting initiatives to drive value and help build a brighter future. Uh, for some of you who may not be completely familiar with this means, uh, environmental, social, and governance, or ESG risks, continue to move up on the board agenda as shareholders, regulators, employees, and consumers increase pressure on companies to demonstrate responsible governance around these risks and, and address those operational and reputational concerns that can have a material impact on the long-term sustainability and financial performance of a company. And what's so interesting uh, to me, Christine, is that as we're building and developing our understanding of sustainability as a community, generally speaking and broadly speaking, where you're positioned working with all these different companies in the economy, you have a very interesting and particular view of what's happening. And I thought I might start by asking what, from your perspective, what is driving the corporate sustainability agenda right now? Um, well, that's a really good question, Aaron. There's a lot of things. I think most notably right now, it's investors. Um, investors are increasingly relying on sustainability information in their, in their decision-making processes. Um, They've, they've voiced frustration by the lack of consistent and comparable disclosure. Um, there's a number of investors that have specific impact investing funds or other sustainability-related investment funds, and, and that trend is growing. Um, we've also seen pressure from shareholders that um, may not may not own um, a direct share, but own through like an exchange traded fund or uh, some fund similar to that, where um, they they'll use their proxy vote as um, as a way to to voice their opinion and their concerns with a company's ESG performance. Um, we see particularly a lot of attention given to the ESG raters out there. So like MSCI, Sustainalytics, ISS, uh, CSR Hub. These are organizations that are taking, uh, taking a company's environmental and social performance and governance practices and basically putting out a report card on companies so that they have, there's ratings out there and companies can be compared to one another. And um, I think it, it really gets the attention of a lot of executives because I'd, I'm not sure that many realize that that's out there. And then all of a sudden they become aware of, oh, hey, somebody's putting a report card out on my company, but I got I to gotta know what that is and, and what's the grounds for, for that score. Um, we see a lot. Uh, we see a lot of companies also getting questions from their from their customers. Um, supply chain is is a very very vast and broad uh, broad thing, and 
companies now are looking for more transparency in their supply chains. And so customers are, are putting the pressure on, particularly I would say, um, you get a lot by the in the way of European companies where they are they're a little bit more advanced in this space because it's been something that's uh, been reported and companies have been doing it for longer there um, and so they're just a bit more mature I would say and now they're 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 really raising the bar in terms of setting expectations for their customers and and what um, what they expect in terms of environmental, social governance, performance. Um, we also see, you know, the trends they, I think you've probably heard a lot about the millennials and uh, the, the Gen Z generation, but as consumers, their, their buying habits are a lot different than the generations before them. And uh, it, the studies and surveys have showed that millennials are aligning their their purchasing power and, and their buying habits to their environmental and social beliefs too. And so that's, that's a more, I would say more uh, consumer facing uh, companies feel that pressure. Um, and then lastly, I would, I, I'm going to throw out regulation. Um, certainly here in the U S uh, any sort of um, strict regulation might be off the table with the current administration, um, but you see states like California that are um, that have uh, moved in the direction of uh, regulation for environmental reasons. Also, I think significantly in um, the EU, the European Union's non-financial reporting directive um, that recently went into effect that requires certain companies to report this information um, so it's there's a lot of there's a lot of drivers in this space and um, I think I think you could ask a lot of companies that are doing it and um, you might find various degree of answers in terms of you know why they're doing it or how they're doing it but at this point I think it's it's really these are business issues that companies have to face and um, more and more that's being recognized and companies don't want to be caught flat-footed uh, when when looking at the the risks and opportunities that relate to these topics yeah it's so interesting i think it's such an exciting time uh to be alive and to be able to witness this this transformation that's occurring and you know one of the things i end up thinking often about and, and talking some about is that uh sustainability really isn't only about uh, us choosing to do good uh, relative to our communities, relative to the environment and so forth, but it is increasingly becoming a question of competitive advantage. Oh, for sure. A variety of industries, right? And, and as consumers are putting more and more pressure on, as you're describing, as we're entering this age of increasing uh, transparency, I am just so thrilled to know that there is rapid transformation underway. And I'm curious, you're working with some of the largest companies in the world, many uh, mid-sized, mid-cap companies. What, what does that look like from your vantage point right now? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I would say it looks a lot, a lot, lot like uh, the Wild West. Um, you, as I said, absent uh, any regulation anywhere outside of the the EU's regulation, um, 
companies at this point right now in terms of reporting and disclosure can do really whatever they want. I mean, there's no, there's no regulation in terms of what they have to report and how they have to report it. Uh, there is, uh, there is, and there has been existing sustainability reporting standards. Um, the Global Reporting Initiative, or the GRI, is probably the the longest standing one. I think they um, they've been around since the early '90s, and it's it's the most widely used set of standards globally um, used by many companies. I think. Um, there is a statistic out there that says, at least in the U.S., 85% of the S&P 500 issue a sustainability report. The majority of those reports are in accordance with the GRI standards. Um, additionally, the um, just this month, yeah, we're still we're still in November. The Sustainability Accounting Standards Board just codified their uh, their standards and they're they're a bit different from GRI. So GRI standards are um, applicable to a very broad stakeholder group: uh, investors, customers, consumers, shareholders, employees, non-governmental organizations, and they're not they're not necessarily industry specific. So SASB, uh, I think it was starting in about 2012, undertook this mission to develop industry-specific standards um, on the premise of financial materiality and, you know, with, with, with the idea in mind that these issues affect companies in a, in a different manner. Um, for example, um, I always like to use the automotive industry as an example because uh, when, you, when you talk about uh, GHG emissions, um, the biggest, gas yeah, greenhouse gas emissions. The biggest impact for uh, automotive companies, in particular, is the use phase emissions. So you and I driving around in our in our car, versus um, a, a different manufacturer where they're not their product is different and doesn't doesn't have the use phase emissions that automobiles do. Right. The, the SASB standards contemplate that. Um, the SASB standards are specific to investors. Um, they're based on the concept of financial materiality. And so by disclosing these industry-specific standards, investors have a way to connect the, the ESG to uh, the financial statements a little bit more directly and, and kind of look at, well, what is financially material? So. That's really interesting. Well, you know, and I have to ask, um, oh, I should mention too, your comment about uh, it's November. So it's November while we're recording, but this may likely oh, right. okay. be, I guess, December of 2018. So speaking of time travel, um, I am struck when I'm uh, building financial models for consulting clients and sometimes even educating and tutoring uh, business students around accounting. Uh, this is a very particular system, you know, thanks to the uh, Renaissance Italian merchant uh, <laughs> hundreds of years ago. And it's, it's a system that has evolved to be very sophisticated, very specific in its yeah. application, which is now really used worldwide. And it's, it was developed initially, and it has been used for centuries for financial 
reporting and accounting specifically and has not been designed to take into account these other things we would consider such as impacts on social well-being, impacts on environmental ecological services, so on and so forth. And I have to ask you, as you being a CPA, um, how, how does this leave you after investing, you know, years and years in learning this sophisticated language and system? Um, how does this leave you feeling and thinking as the endeavor now is to incorporate more information that is outside of the, the financial system, strictly speaking? No, that's another another great question. And really, um, you know, the, if you look at the evolution of financial accounting, um, it it was an evolution. And, and I think that's what this is, too. You know, you have this is information that's out there in the public domain. And I always I always tell people that I really I spent eight years in the financial statement audit practice within Deloitte before moving into sustainability. And I always I, I look back on that time and I kind of take for granted my role as the auditor because the systems were so established and the financial accounting rules are so established and there's SOX 404 and controls and, you know, everything was just very uh, mature and, and robust. And then you come into sustainability where um, you, you have uh, companies with the ability to disclose whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Um, you know, there's, for example, there's even companies out there that they don't report in accordance with GRI or SASB. They'll make up their own definition and report that definition. Um, and, and that's okay as long as the consumer of that information has that definition. Um, but I, but I still think, and, you know, maybe this is the, the auditor in me coming out and, and shining, um, that, because this information is relied upon in the marketplace that it's it just speaks to the case for assurance and um, you know putting in place companies putting in place those credible reporting processes and, and controls specific to this subject matter and you know, engaging their financial statement auditor to perform assurance on this information it's it's I think critical um, in terms of where the market is at right now, there are many companies that do seek assurance on uh, maybe I would say more so specific key performance indicators, like most notably greenhouse gas emissions, um, but not necessarily everything that they're reporting or their sustainability report as a whole. And uh, I think as this as this space matures and the reporting matures and the disclosure matures, then we'll see the assurance of that uh, follow as well. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear that perspective. And one of the things I'm struck by in your earlier comment is the uh, incredible disparity that we're seeing state to state here in the United States with respect to regulation standard and expectations. And it, it leaves me wondering, you know, on, on the one hand, many of these issues are related to risk obviously. And on the other hand, many of these issues are related to competitive advantage and economic development. And it leaves me thinking that, you know, in, in some of the regions, some of the states that are not really uh, leading, that are not really being proactive around these issues, they're doing a double disservice to their communities, potentially, where on the one hand, they're not 
addressing some of these risks we're facing as robustly as they could be. And on the other hand, they're not driving the innovation and in the uh, laying the groundwork for the competitive advantage and the eventual economic de development that will ensue. And I'm just curious if, as, as you're looking at different firms all around the country, if you get a sense that uh, we're, we're really seeing a, a situation where the ingredients for success over time are, are much more heavily concentrated in certain areas and, and less so in other areas. There's, there's definitely, um, I, I'd say, an appetite for innovation. Um, and that's where I think the companies that are, are doing this whole space, this whole sustainability thing, the ones that are doing it really right are the ones that are the innovators and the ones that are, are able to um, take, a, take a, a downturn in the economy and gain market share or um, do do some really cool things in research and development and change their products such that it it's it's somehow game game changing for the industry yeah. there's a um, there's a ted talk and it's kind of it's a few years it's probably at least 10 years old now um, ray anderson the ceo of interface carpets did this ted talk it was called the business business logic for sustainability and in the TED Talk, he, he takes, takes you through the journey of the company's sustainability thinking. And at one point in the TED Talk, it pulls up uh, a chart and shows um, the economy and how the economy was moving. And there was this little dip in the economy, and I think it was around 2000, but how his company was actually able to gain market share during that time. Uh, because of the way that they innovated their product and um, the sustainability trends that they paid attention to and, and the things that they did in that respect. Um, I think this is going to be huge in the next 10 years. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change just issued a report uh, about a month or two ago now. And basically it said that this is, climate change is worse than we thought. And we're going to start seeing the impacts of climate change and a lot sooner than we thought. So sure. I think, I think they mentioned like 2030 versus I think the previous reports were 2040 or 2050. Um, but, you know, then you start thinking and, you know, I'm like, gosh, well, I'm, I'm going to be around in 2030 and, and my kids will definitely be around in 2030. And uh, I think, I think, once businesses start maybe paying attention to that a little bit more, they're going to recognize it's a little bit more sudden than, than expected. And, you know, kind of anticipating that through scenario analysis and risk planning, um, it's going to give them a leg up when, when we do start seeing real, um, real climate change uh, affecting our, our day-to-day -day lives. And yes. Business. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of our friends who have experienced, uh, coastal flooding and massive forest fires might already be uh, feeling some of the early right. of this climate change. And certainly the, the scientific community seems to be pointing in that direction as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so happy you, you mentioned that, uh, that you have kids. And <laughs> I love that in addition to uh, being a sustainability professional, a CPA, an accountant, you're also a mom 
and uh, you have two young children. And I'm curious, as you're, you know, working by day with all of these different companies that are in varying stages of uh, addressing and incorporating these sustainability values and standards, uh, when you when you get home, uh, what is what is that like for you? And <laughs> how, do you, how do you see some of the sustainability opportunities or challenges even uh, on the home front? Well, I'll say this. I've already apologized to both of my sons um, because the challenges that they'll face uh, in their adult life in particular are, are much different than the challenges that, you know, I face as an adult, particular when, you know, we, they start seeing the impacts of climate change and, you know, that leading to food scarcity and things and things like that. And I, and I, as a parent, just have innate anxiety about that and and hope that they will have the answer um i've also started to brainwash them if you will <laughs> if you ask my son my five-year-old son what water is he'll tell you it's a scarce natural resource Beautiful. um and then I, you know i just try in our everyday lives to to do things and, and it, it, so that they're normal to my, to my kids. For example, um, both of my both of my boys were in cloth diapers. Um, we shovel our driveway instead of using a snowblower. And in southeastern Wisconsin, that's quite a feat. Um, just just earlier this week, I was I was out in my driveway for four hours with a shovel uh -huh. after after a snowstorm. But um, uh, we also have uh, hobbies like I'm a, a beekeeper. Uh, I have a couple of beehives with my brother, and have like have done uh, gotten him into that, and and my mom, and so that's a nice uh, family activity and something I I feel strongly about. Um, I have uh, my kids. You know, all of this to my kids is just something that's that they've grown up with and something that's normal and. I recognize that society will start changing them the more and more that they are out of my purview and, and into like school when, when they spend so much time with school and their friends. And so I'm trying now while they're really, really young to, to put my influence on them that this is something that's super important and something that they're going to, they're going to be challenged with as, as they grow into adults. So. Yes. Well, it's so, it's so wonderful how, proactive you're being with them and that you're not only on the one hand teaching them about uh, things like water, fresh water being a scarce and precious resource. On the other hand, you're demonstrating ways that we can be proactive in our own homes, our own yards, our own neighborhoods. And of course, with the Why on Earth community, we are increasingly doing work all around the country uh, with some of the very hopeful activities we can do, such as soil building, which really can help to reverse the climate change trends, really help to stabilize climate by sequestering carbon. And my sincere hope is that our kids and all of us in the next several years and decades are gonna engage deeply in some of these restorative and regenerative practices. And my sense is that we'll see companies, small, medium, and large, increasingly engaging in some of these community activities as a way yeah. for them to market and advertise and you know live streaming media is becoming very big and i'm just i'm thrilled to think that 
we can really mobilize so much hope and the business community can take such a strong leadership position around all of this. And, and as we're facing these challenges, they can be overwhelming and daunting. There, yeah, there are, you know, to that point, there are so many companies out there that do a lot mm -hmm. and, and make a really big impact. And unfortunately, they don't, they don't tell that story. They don't say that. And, and that's, I feel, one of the really cool parts of my job is I get to go into, into all of these different companies and all of these in different industries. And I get to hear about everything they're doing. And it, and it really gives me, uh, makes me feel optimistic in a, in a time when it's very easy not to be optimistic. Um, it's just some of the cool things that are being done and the cool the things that exist out there and how they're, how they're innovating and what they're doing to address, you know, challenges like soil degradation and erosion and uh, anything, um, waste. And um, yeah. so that's, it's really refreshing. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more that I think that's being done. That's just not out there in, in the public and, um, I wish I wish companies would some would sometimes tell tell those st really cool stories. Um, but you know, I, my sense is that we might be seeing a whole lot more of that. And I often joke with my media partner Artem Nikolkov from Earth Coast Productions about how sometimes uh, the uh, the letters CSO stand for Chief Sustainability Officer, and sometimes they stand for Chief Streaming Officer. <laughs> We, we talk often about how we're seeing this convergence where companies of all sizes can increasingly share these stories, tell these stories. And of course, that's very potent in, in social media. It's very potent in some of the new ways of marketing and advertising and messaging. And uh, my goodness, that could be such a potent additional way to mobilize this kind of positive action in our communities all over. And uh, that gives me hope. Yeah, and I think you'll see that. Uh, you know, you've got the millennial generation now getting older and sort of creeping their way into upper management. And this is just this is just the millennial thinking, and this is how they do business, and that's that's different from the previous generations. And so I, I definitely think those um, those facets of uh, of their lives is is going to be it's going to be really apparent when you start seeing them as CEOs and, and executives and, and board members, you know, the board plays a huge role in this. And um, I would say a lot of boards might be a bit skeptical at first, but just as in, as in anything, I think once you learn more of the subject matter and, and, and what this is all about, it, it just, the dollars and cents just make sense. Absolutely. I, I want to pick up um, your comment about the boards and ask you about a recent article you co-authored. Before uh, asking that question, though, I just want to mention to our audience that uh, this is the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And today we are speaking with Christine Robinson, uh, CPA, accountant, and sustainability senior manager at Deloitte. And uh, for those of you who might like to check out some of our audiobook and ebook resources uh, at whyonearth.org, be sure to use the code podcast to get a discount on those. And uh, you might just uh, think about 
getting something like that uh, in time for the holidays. We think this uh, this particular episode will be airing in early December. So um, that's a great opportunity for you. And, you know, we are talking about sustainability as it uh, appears in the realm of accounting and in the corporate world. And uh, Christine, you co-authored this article, which is called Why Sustainability is a Board-Level Risk. Uh, this was in the CFO journal part of the Wall Street Journal back in uh, July of 2018. And it was, it was such a compelling uh, presentation of some of this information where uh, this really is not a kind of side optional consideration for boards any longer. This is now a central uh, and increasingly important concern for boards on companies of all sizes. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how has the, uh, the reception been to this, this article so far? What are you hearing from your clients and your colleagues? Um, I, it's, it's gotten tremendous attention, actually. Um, I think uh, the, you know, oftentimes we, we think about companies as what's in the four walls and what's inside and and that often doesn't that doesn't extend to the board um but they play a critical role um as more and more particularly in, in where we are in in this world in terms of climate change the the measurement and disclosure of sustainability risks are are key and boards can help provide insight on how companies can integrate the, this thinking and 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 address the stakeholder expectations as i mentioned when uh, the first question you asked me of what's driving the corporate agenda investors are are clamoring for this information and so the board really the board really does have an important role in in helping to direct the company in how they're thinking long term about these risks and opportunities, um, the there's there's just a, a number. I mean, sustainability in and of itself is a very broad um, a, a very broad topic, um, and so. That sometimes makes it difficult for uh, for boards to hone in on specific expertise. You know, like some some companies may have water issues, others it may be emissions or something more labor or social related. And so um, sometimes that's a little difficult for uh, boards to maintain that expertise. But it's important whether the board is is staying up to date. Uh, internally or you know seeking the the help of a third party um, that they have that they have uh, authority and um, connect with the company's executives on uh, the go-forward strategy to address these risks uh, obviously for many of the, these companies to be able to hire a an advisor and consultant like yourself is a, a significant part of the strategy there I'm wondering are there other resources, organizations, institutions that you look to or even sometimes suggest to your, your clients as uh, great sources of information and resources? Yeah, I, um, I always like to refer back to the standards. So checking out the Global Reporting Initiative, uh, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Um, there's a number of different 
a number of other different organizations that um, are on the forefront of this space. But I, I always like to go back to the standards because that ultimately drives what's reported and what then, or it should drive what the market's reported. Um, and so that's what the information is then being consumed. Um, so I always like to start there. And that also might be the CPA in me is just going back to this. Sure. Yeah, well, that makes sense to me. I mean, there's a, a solid foundation there, right, to mm -hmm. work off of and build from. Mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, can't help but ask as we're uh, getting ready to, to wind up our discussion today. So we've got the holidays coming up. And uh, do, you have, do you have anything fun planned with the kids? Will you guys be getting outside or you'll probably have some snow, right? Yes. Um, my, my kids are, are snow lovers. And so like, we just had a, a blizzard a couple of days ago and it was all they could do to, to get out the door fast enough and, and get in the snow. And so um, I put a shovel in their hand because like I said, we shovel our driveway. <laughs> um, even my, even my one and a half year old, like he doesn't really help shovel. He, he more anti helps shoveling. Um, when he's, but um, no, we just, we just enjoy the outdoors. And so skiing and, and in the wintertime, especially skiing and sledding. Um, they're at that age where anytime you're going fast somehow is fun. Right. Um, so. Yes, and good to crash when there's snow between us yes. and rocks, right? Yeah, well, so sledding, sledding quickly turns into who can, who can crash the best. <laughs> right, yeah, that sounds fun. Well, you know, in, in about the future and, and our kids' futures, golly, my hope is that we are able to mobilize the solutions, the strategies, that will allow us to stabilize climate and, and allow our kids, our grandkids to experience things like skiing and, and playing in the snow in the future. And uh, I, I hope so. I really, I really hope so. And you know what, that's, that's why I do what I do is to try and have an impact. And, and, you know, I, I look at it this way. I, as a, as a human being on this earth, I, I can make my own impacts and do my own things. And, but as part of my job and working with companies, like to the extent that um, I can help them make a bigger impact than I can make individually, um, I hope that's making a better future for my kids. It's a very powerful um, way to act uh, through our connections with the companies and organizations that we're, that we're working with and working for. And I, it, it leaves me wondering, you know, a lot of the last couple decades has a considerable amount of greenwashing in this arena. And it sounds like talking with you and in our, our phone call the other day preparing for this discussion, it sounds like you've experienced, you've seen a transition where we, we see less and less superficial greenwashing and more and more meaningful, substantive uh, action being taken and I, I was hoping you could reflect on that with us and, and that might be a nice way to leave with a with a hopeful and positive tone with some of these challenging issues that we're facing yeah no that's that's a that's a great point you know I think I think a lot of this started off you know years and years ago with the greenwashing sentiment where it could be a marketing you know purely marketing and now companies are are really seeing the value and in grounding their their sustainability strategy in materiality. So first looking at what what is 
what is the most important things for my business to be addressing if I ask an external stakeholder, if I'm looking at investors or customers or employees or whomever. And then also, you know, analyzing where does my business have the biggest impacts? Is it in water? Is it in waste? And, and filtering those to identify where you have the most impact and what's most important to stakeholders. Um, it's just such a key part of, of any sustainability strategy. And I, I think companies are, are doing it more and more. And, and we see now that focus on materiality. And, and that's, really, that's really the essence and the foundation of a, of a credible program and, and doing it the right way and with intention and, and, and being able to, to make an impact. Well, that is so wonderful and, and so hope-filled. And uh, Christine, I want to thank you for joining us in this discussion today. It's been such a pleasure visiting with you. And I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season. Yeah, thank you so much, Erin. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and happy holidays to you and your family as well. Great. Thanks, Christine. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.